It's love divine or love's excelling. Continuing our series on John Wesley and Methodism, Melvin Bragg talked to three experts on the history of Methodism, Erin White, Stephen Plant and William Gibson. Today they look at Welsh Methodism and the importance of the preacher, George Whitfield. What did, in their view, was lacking in mainstream Anglican life that they had to set up this small club to rectify it? Well, in one sense, nothing at all. Um, they didn't think that the Church of England had made any mistakes doctrinally, and they didn't think its basic patterns were false. 
what they wanted to do was be much more serious, much more in earnest about faith. So Wesley, from about 20, uh, 1725, was reading some quite serious texts about religion, Thomas Akempis, um, Jeremy Taylor, and most particularly a contemporary called William Law, a non-juring clergy member, who'd written a book on, um, ser- on really on earnest religion, on how to be re- earnest about one's faith. And Law's point, which all of them took on board, was that faith wasn't just a matter of what you did on Sundays or even attending morning prayers in the college chapel. It involved a complete reorientation of every moment of your life, which had to be given to God. And that meant accounting to God for each uh, hour of your day. Thank you very much. Aaron White, uh, personalities are important in this story. And one of the other great personalities here was George Whitfield, a member of the Holy Club. Um, Can you tell us a bit about him? Yes, well, George Whitfield was probably the most famous preacher of the age, and that's partly because he was very good at publicity. He made sure that the newspaper reports were published about all his activities. But he was really genuinely something of a transatlantic celebrity. He spent a lot of time in America, and he's actually buried at Massachusetts because he died during a preaching tour there. He said he'd rather wear out than rust out, so he kept on preaching to the end. But he'd, he'd met the Wesleys, of course, at Oxford through the Holy Club um, and seems to have taken on a, something of a lead role while they were in America. He was a few years younger than them. Um, and perhaps there are some comparisons with what um, William was saying about overcoming certain kind of childhood difficulties because he had suffered a great deal from the measles when he was four and had a lifelong squint as a result. So was mocked and bullied um, in his childhood. And, of course, every single cartoon emphasised the squint in years afterwards. He was he was a one-man revivalist for a while, wasn't he? I mean, we must get it in perspective. This perspective here is hyperbolic. Yeah, it, he was remarkable. And, you know, there are accounts of the way he modulated his voice, the gestures, you know, the, the drama of his preaching was extraordinarily effective. And, of course, one of his great contributions here was the fact that he also persuaded John Wesley to undertake... Um, field preaching out of doors because Whitfield began this practice around 1739 following the example of the Welsh Methodists and he was gaining a great deal of response around the Bristol area, around Kingswood and urged John Wesley to follow him. So it's really as a result of that that we have then these characteristically Methodist large preaching meetings that went on for two or three hours with all sorts of emotion being expressed during the course of this. William? Uh, John Wesley was very interested in the idea of primitivity and Stephen's already mentioned the early church and uh, Wesley certainly believed that the early church was a model for how Christians should behave. And, By the um, early church, what does he mean? He means the original Christian fathers of the second and third century. Um, and he believes this is the purest form of Christianity, and field preaching is part of that. I mean, back to you. Um, there were, before the movement uh, had a settled name, there were others reviving Christianity in a similar way, in Wales, of course. Uh, well, I mean, Methodism was, and Methodist, of course, was a nickname. It wasn't their choice, and for a while, they, um, certainly there was a degree of uncertainty about that, and sometimes there'd be phrases like people called Methodist um, instead. I mean... The Welsh movement, of course, was given the name Methodist, again, as a sort of nickname, because they were perceived from the outside to be very similar 
to the English movement around Whit- Whitfield and the Wesleys. Um, so it certainly wasn't their choice of name. And the Welsh movement was an entirely separate movement, which sprang up um, in parallel. And of course, at the time, they would argue that the fact that these separate movements, these different streams of the evangelical revival were emerging at the same time, they would say that that was evidence that it was God's work in the world. But the Welsh movement began around 1735, when the two main leaders, Daniel Rowland and Howell Harris, went through conversion experiences. And by 1737, they'd met and began to work together. So we date the movement in Wales from 1737. And not long after that, they were joined by the third of the three great leaders in Wales, William Williams, who's, of course, best known perhaps as a hymn writer and famous for the English version of his hymn, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. Here is the All Souls Orchestra and Chorus with Name of All Majesty.
Malcolm Geit has written a series of meditations based on the Psalms. Today we hear Malcolm's thoughts on Psalm number 8. It's followed by Handel's Concerto Grosso number 2, played by the English Concert, and it's under their conductor Trevor Pinnock. Domine Dominus Noster, a response to Psalm 8. Before the splendour of the resurrection dawns and transforms the world, I'll watch the lights of heaven, each a glory in their station, harbingers of greater heaven, keeping nights of watch with us, the moving moon and stars, his handiwork in which he still delights. And I will listen too, open my ears to every creature that still speaks his name from babes and sucklings to those crowned with years, for wisdom laughs and lives in both. The flame of love is kindled round the world in old and young. I'll seek him too beyond the tame familiar world, out in the wide and wild, as much in the steep seas and mountain heights as in the startling wisdom of a child.
was followed by the English concert with part of Handel's Concerto Grosso Number no. 2. And it's Jen Johnson with God's Invitation, Come to Me. I am the Lord,
Adrian Plass has written a book called The Unlocking, published by the Bible Reading Fellowship. They have given us permission to broadcast his recordings, and we hear one of them now. Through gritted teeth. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. These famous words of Jesus come ringing down through the years like a great bell, proclaiming triumph and warning at the same time. They proclaim triumph because the principle of forgiveness towards enemies still works and operates among those trying to follow and obey Jesus. Sometimes it has to be done through gritted teeth. But wherever genuine attempts to be loving are brought face to face with hostility and hatred, a miracle of reconciliation is made possible. The warning is for those who persist in a policy of aggression and revenge, despite claiming to be adherents to the Christian faith. And this is true on all levels, of course. My refusal to snap out of childish sulking in response to my wife's latest major crime is no different in essence from more serious conflicts. We shall all answer to the same judge. How tragic it is, though, that at so many points in history... And in so many parts of the world, the Bible has been used to justify murder, torture, war and repression. I have visited and spoken in both South Africa and Northern Ireland. The body of Christ in those countries makes an enormous difference for good. But in both cases, I could only guess at the grief and anger of God over the way in which so-called Christianity has gone hand in hand with violence. Those who wanted war at all costs gone into battle with a Bible in one hand and a gun in the other, and they understand neither. Bibles and rifles handled by amateurs, paper and metal tear us apart, fixing their sights on the heart of reality, Bibles and rifles there from the start, rifles and Bibles crashing through history, leather and wood wounding and tears, Aiming and blaming and shattering mystery, rifles and Bibles ring in our ears, Bibles and rifles, rifles and Bibles, Bibles and trifles, foibles and rifles, rifles and Bibles, Bibles and rifles, handled by amateurs, ring in our ears. Pray with me. Loving Heavenly Father, we want to try to tackle this business of loving enemies. First of all, we're going to sit quietly here for a few minutes and go through a mental list of the folk who we would call our enemies. Help us to be really honest. It's so easy to leave out people who perhaps we've pushed from our consciousness because the very thought of them is too much for us to handle. People who we wish were dead. People who hurt us when we were little. People who have humiliated us in front of others. People who rejected us. We don't want to leave anyone out. 
The list will be different for each of us, but we'll go through them now. Help us, Lord. Amen. Adrian Plass. Here's a song inspired by a different part of the teaching of Jesus, different from the one that Adrian was talking about just now. It's more or less on the same theme, though. Tony Rich with Blessed Are the Peacemakers. Sometimes you gotta take the wrong Even though you can win the fight It takes someone who is strong To just hold your peace Just hold your peace And let love reign Let love reign Because blessed Blessed are the peacemakers For they shall be called the children children of God. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children, the children of God. There are times that you can shout, but sometimes you've got to shut your mouth. Even though you hold the reins, but you can't save yourself the pain. And just hold your peace, just hold your peace, and let love reign. Let love reign, because blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children. The children of God, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children, the children of God. Just hold your peace, just hold your peace, and let love reign, let love reign, whoa, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children, children, children of God, Shut up your mouth. Whoa. Even though you hold the rain, you gotta save yourself the rain. Oh, and just hold your peace. Just hold your peace and let love rain. Yeah. Let love rain. Oh. Because blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. 
For they shall be called the children, the children of God. Oh, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children, the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children, the children of God. A gentle reggae beat there from Tony Rich, and blessed are the peacemakers. Just a reminder, though, that you're tuned to Heartland FM on 97.5 or the digital access channel heartland.scot, or if you're in one of the hospitals in Dundee area, you're getting us via Bridge FM. Wherever you are, welcome to Heartland FM and welcome to Heart and Soul with David Wilkie and me, Howard Simpson, working from home with Alistair Smith putting it all together for us this week. Now let's get over to David. Larry Gentis has produced a series of talks for us where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today he tells the story of the rich young ruler. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Be seated, everyone. Glad you could come and be with us today. Since I'm your teacher, I thought I'd bring something into our yeshiva that is invaluable. My own personal experience. I have my story to tell about how I met Jesus. A bit of background might be helpful to understand the encounter. I was the owner of many pieces of land just outside Judea, beyond the Jordan River. And as such, I had responsibilities. I was on the Jewish Regional Council, which is the governing body for a large part of the tribal lands. My farms were prosperous, and I hope it doesn't sound pretentious if I say that I was, oh, exceedingly rich, lacking for nothing that money and power could procure. So much for my origins. I keep myself up to date on happenings in Israel, as a wise ruler should. At the time of my story, there was news of an itinerant traveling rabbi named Jesus, going from place to place, teaching the people in the areas he visited. His message message was simple. The kingdom of God has come, and the good news of God's favor had arrived, and he was announcing it. Well, with the Roman oppression we were living, this was a message many people really wanted to hear. Also, he taught with great power. (laughs) Not like some of our rabbis. The strange thing about this rabbi was that people said he performed extraordinary miracles. Healing lepers, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the dumb, even raising the dead. What was disturbing was that these rumors, for want of a better word, were being propagated by some really respectable people. Some of them I've even had the pleasure to be acquainted with, having exercised my authority in their circles. Now for my story. I'd heard that this Jesus had just left Capernaum and was making his way through Judea beyond the Jordan, which is exactly where I live and work. On the day of his arrival, I made a point of going to the main road through the town because I didn't want to miss seeing him. I I had no intention of talking to him. I, I just wanted to see him. As he passed by, however, I had a sudden impulse to ask him a question. I'm normally not like that. My question at the moment seemed so urgent that I felt if I passed up this opportunity, I would always regret it. Now he was now going past me, followed by a huge crowd surrounding him. So I started to run after him. When I caught up with him, even though I was half out of breath, I blurted out my question so that he would have to stop and hear it. My question was this. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
I, I thought it would be profitable to show a bit of deference if I wanted an answer, so I, I called him good. First of all, he wasn't at all impressed at, by my supposed deference and answered me thus, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. So, Jesus answered me with six of the Ten Commandments Moses gave us. And to be honest, I was glad he chose those. Well, I hadn't killed anyone. I had been faithful to my wife. I hadn't stolen anything or lied to get someone into trouble. And I deeply revere my parents. So, reasonably sure of myself, I responded, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Before answering me, he looked at me with a compassion that I'd never seen anywhere from anyone. Yes, oh, that look still remains burned into my memory. Such love as I'd never seen, as if he could see right into my very soul. Oh, but back to the story. His reply was just as unforgettable as his penetrating gaze into my eyes. One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the master said that, the effect was like a full wineskin, suspended on a beam that was suddenly ripped open with a knife, and all the wine splattered out on the ground. However, his eyes never left mine as he spoke, and love was still in them. Are you wondering about those four commandments Jesus didn't mention? Well... It was as if all of them were contained in the answer Jesus gave to me, and one in particular, the one where God says to have no other gods before him. Now, understand that I was a regular worshiper at the synagogue. I never missed a Sabbath service, but remember what I told you when I introduced myself. I was a landowner, a prominent ruler in the community, and what gave me these privileges? <laughs> I was very rich, and to be honest with you, I liked being rich and powerful. Oh, I liked it very much. And as I look back on it, I liked it too much. When I saw the eyes of Jesus and heard his words, I realized what was really lacking for eternal life with God, because power and wealth had become my God. I quietly left the crowds and the noise, and Jesus continued on his way. My only thought was what my life would be like if I didn't have the possessions and authority I had. And at the time, I, I couldn't let them go. However, something else wouldn't let me go. Those eyes of love looking right into the depths of my soul. Well, class, that's all history now. As time went by, I became more and more conscious of the real worth of possessions and wealth. And over time, one by one, I let them all go and went to follow Jesus. I can tell you, the riches I now have with Jesus make the world's riches seem laughable in comparison. I really found Jesus when I got rid of the things that were in the way of his love. Are there things in the way of his love in your life? What a great group of students you were. Thanks so much for listening intently to me today. Yeshiva dismissed. This reading was from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 17 to 22.
And that was Larry Gentis. More from Larry next week as he imagines himself as someone else in the Bible. Meantime, here's Kirsten Easdale and Be Thou My Vision. Minister of Pitlochry, Church of Scotland. Today she has a story for us about peace that passes understanding. How many have seen the film Forrest Gump? In case you haven't seen it, in case you forget, here's a brief overview. It was made in 1994. It starred Tom Hanks. It was the story of a simple man who always put others before himself. Forrest has had a lot to contend with in life and as he sits on a bench waiting in a bus he tells his story to the people who sit beside him. Forrest struggled through childhood with his best and only friend Jenny. He was bullied and made fun of but his mama teaches him the ways of life and lets him know that he's capable of absolutely anything and leaves him to choose his own way in life. As he's chased by the bullies The braces he's been wearing on his legs fall off and we discover he's a great runner. 
which in turn leads him to winning a sporting scholarship at university. Next, Forrest joins the army for service in Vietnam, finding new friends called Bubba and finally Dan. He wins medals, he starts a table tennis craze, he creates a famous shrimp fishing fleet, inspires people to jog, creates the smiley emoji, inspires bumper stickers and songs and meets several presidents and heads of state. Along the way, he encourages people, saves people, inspires people. However, Forrest is oblivious to all this, as he can only think of his childhood sweetheart, Jenny, who has messed up her life big style. And every time he encounters her, at every turn, he lets her know that she is a person of worth and greatly loved. There's a line in the movie that Forrest passes on to the people as he's telling his story. A piece of wisdom passed on to him from his mother. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And I suppose to some extent we all know that phrase contains an element of truth. That life is anything but predictable. It's not always what we want it to be or expect it to be. Often we never know which way the wind will blow and what storms it will bring with it. There are some stories from scripture that we learn as children that stick with us and I think today's gospel story is one of them. It's recorded in the gospels of Matthew and Luke. It's usually entitled, and Matthew, Mark and Luke, and it's usually entitled Jesus calms the storm. It's a familiar picture. Jesus asleep in the boat when a huge storm strikes. There are panicking disciples, then the miraculous calming of the storm. Their fear is the question who he is, that even the wind and the sea obey him. And the sermons that we've often heard tend to focus on things like Jesus has power over the storms of life. He experiences them alongside us, cares about us, brings us peace in the midst of them and wants us to trust him more than we do. Or they ask questions like, how many times does it feel as if you're in a storm and Jesus is asleep? Or what are the storms that are tossing your life around? I've written sermons where the focus has been on things like Every person experiences storms, even if they have Jesus in the boat. When I've reminded us that it does not mean that God does not love us. It does not mean that God is angry with us. And while God may have said we are a special people, he has never said that we are immune from the storms of life. But he has promised us his peace. God gives us peace when problems want to overwhelm us in those moments of doubts and worries, tensions and grief. If we turn to him, he offers peace that passes understanding. And that was Mary Haddo, minister of Pitlochry Church of Scotland. From the album I Will Not Sing Alone, published by the Iona community, here's Macapella with I Heard the Voice of Jesus Say, Come Unto Me and Rest. 
I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come on to me and rest. Lay down the weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary and worn and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Look unto me, thy morn shall rise, and all thy day be bright. I looked to Jesus, and I found in him my star, my sun. And in that light of life I'll walk Till travelling days are done I looked to Jesus And I found in him my star, my sun And in that light of life I'll walk Till travelling Days are done.